If you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 10 verses of that. 1 Samuel chapter 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren is born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Like John 11 and verse 35 and 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 is easy to memorize. It only takes a moment to memorize. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, it reads, pray without ceasing. It takes just a short moment to memorize, but it takes a lifetime uh, to, to live that out. It's a short verse, but it's not short on meaning. What is it that Paul means when he tells us to pray without ceasing? I do not believe that Paul is talking about a 24-hour-a-day nonstop prayer. But I believe that he is talking about prayer, not giving up on it. And there are other things that we are to accomplish in our life other than just pray. But prayer is a big part of it, and we do not need to grow weary in it. We do not need to cut off our communication with our Creator. Communication is important in every relationship. It's certainly important in a marriage relationship. It's important in our relationship with God. We communicate with Him. He speaks to us through His written, revealed Word. And we speak to Him in prayer. And that's the most important conversation that you'll have in your life, is when you talk. To God, I want us to look in 1 Samuel chapter 1 this evening, and I want us to look at Hannah and her example of, of prayer. Recently, a woman came in our store, and she had on a t-shirt that read, I want to sacrifice like Esther, I want to love like Ruth, I want to pray like Hannah, and I want to wait like Sarah. Sarah was a prayer warrior, talking about prayer and, and warriors, uh, warfare. We need to be prayer warriors, and I believe that's what we see in Hannah. Look there in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want us to cover verses uh, 9 through 20 this evening. Notice, first of all, that she prayed 
in anguish. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Her husband, Elkanah, had taken another wife who was able to have children. But Hannah could not. And we see that his new wife rubbed it in Hannah's face. It says in verse 7 that she provoked her. And notice it says severely, severely. While the incident here is recorded and happened in one year, I believe what we see in Hannah is that she prayed in a similar fashion to this year after year, if you look there at verse 7 closely. But the point is that God is the one that we need to go to in times when we are distressed. Jesus certainly did in the garden. In Psalm 46 and verse 1, the Bible says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We need to go to God in times of trouble. God invites us to bring our trouble to Him. Psalm 50 and verse 15, He invites us, He says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And He will answer our prayers when we come to Him in trouble. Psalm 91 verses 14 through 16, we see this in verse 15, it says, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. One of the verses of the song that we just sang mentioned in that song that he will be with us through conflict. Do you trust God like that? You remember Nehemiah, he was in captivity. He was the cupbearer to the king of the Persian Persian palace and a report came back to him from Jerusalem that distressed him and troubled him greatly that instead of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem people were just living immoral lifestyle what is the first thing he did he go to his king or Xerxes right away no he went to the king of kings he went to God because he knew he needed God's help who do you go to in times of trouble And I'm not saying, and I hope you don't take it this way, that we only run to our Father when we are troubled. It's not something that's just a 911 emergency call that we use in times of trouble. But certainly it is comforting to know that He is there when we need Him. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, you know that passage. I'm sure you have that memorized. The devil's like a roaring lion. Therefore, we need to be sober and be on guard. But right before that well-known Verse In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. It's humbling to me that God is mindful of me, and He wants me to cast my cares, my troubles, that could seem so insignificant to the ruler of the universe, But he wants to hear them. He wants me to cast my cares upon him because he cares for us. Hannah went to God when she was distressed about being barren. She is a woman of God who is deeply afflicted by the fact that she cannot have children at this point. And as a result, 
she carries her supplications and her anxieties to the Lord. That's the place to go. I want you to notice also about Hannah that she offers a vow to God. In verse 11 it says, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. I don't want you to look at verse 11 and think that this is a vain attempt on Hannah's part to bribe God. I will do this if you will do that. I think Hannah wanted to demonstrate how important it was to her and the lengths that she would go to if he would answer her prayers. What she vowed was within her ability to do. You remember in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the first five verses, that Solomon talks about, do not be rash with your mouth. I've been guilty of that. <laughs> We're not to be rash with our mouth. And he says, pay what you have vowed. We need to be careful what we vow to God. She is asking for God's aid. She knows that she cannot do this alone. She stated what she was willing to do. What are we willing to do when we go to God in prayer? When you pray for something, how far are you willing to go if He answers you? When you pray that this congregation at El Bethel be strengthened and grow, are you willing to work for it? Or do you just pray to God that we grow and think, well, I've done my part. I've done what I need to do. And just sit back and, and wait for it to happen? No. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it talks about teaching the truth in love. It also says that as a congregation, as a church, and Ephesians is about the church, that every joint supplies. We're to be effective workers. Every part does its share. Are we doing that? We not only need to pray to God for strength and growth, we need to pray about what we will do. And when you pray for strength to overcome temptation, to be able to find that way of escape, to be able to resist temptation, do you make an effort to minimize temptation in your life and your exposure to temptation? Do you resist the devil so that he will flee from you? Do you draw near to God so he will draw near to you? In Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, Paul wrote, Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. When you pray for strength to overcome temptation, that is not all you need to do to overcome temptation. You need to put on the whole armor of God. And that includes praying. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. When you pray for the opportunity to teach others, do you seek those opportunities? Look in Colossians chapter 4. At the end of this letter to the Colossians, I want you to notice what Paul says. In Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, 
for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul is praying for open doors of opportunity. But he realizes that he has to speak. And he wants the church to pray for him that he will know what to say so someone will obey the gospel. Open doors, but he has work to do. And he realizes that and we need to as well. I believe that is in what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 1 in verse 11. In Hannah's vow to God, she is willing to do this. She's not just going to sit back and allow God to work. She wants to dedicate her son to the Lord. But notice also that she continued to pray. I think in the context we see that this is something that she did year after year. Now I ask you, does repeating a prayer, and we talk about repetition in prayer, does repeating a prayer show one, a lack of faith? Or does it, too, show a dedication to a cause? It should show a dedication to a cause, something that is important. Jesus prayed three times in the garden. We see in Matthew chapter 26. You see it in verse 39, verse 42, verse 44. Paul prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh be removed. It was important to him. The cause was important. God desires persistency in our prayers. In Luke chapter 18, the first eight verses, you see that persistent widow going to the judge. She's not going to give up. She's persistent in her prayers. That's what the Lord desires of us, that we be persistent in our prayers. It is not a one and done thing. Prayer is something that we need to do constantly. Recently, I had a brother tell me, Steve, I pray every day for your father. It was so good to hear that. I pray every day for your father. And I know he means that, and I know he does. Persistence in prayer. We see that in Hannah. Do we have it in our life? Also, she prayed with sincerity of heart. Look at verse 13 beginning. 1 Samuel chapter 1, picking up in verse 13. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Silent prayer, you do that? I hope so. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Hannah's prayers were not done to impress others. And if our prayers are done to impress others, That's the only reward that we're going to receive. In the heart of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about doing your charitable deeds to receive praise from men, praying to receive praise from men, fasting to receive praise from men, prayer, praying out on the street corner so people will see us and think, oh, what a prayer warrior that is. I wish I could be like that. We need... 
to pray in sincerity, not try to impress others. Men in our public prayers, let's, don't, let's realize we're talking to God. That's what is important. You don't have to use big words. Just pour your heart out to God. I think that's what we see in the Psalms. You know, we talk about the Psalms as a psalm book of Israel. It covers a thousand year history. Moses wrote Psalm 9. It goes to post-exile. It's a psalm book of Israel. But you can pray through a lot of those psalms. Beautiful prayers we see. People pouring their heart out to God. That's what he wants. I think that's what we see uh, from the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Deep in Paul's heart, he wanted the Israelites to be saved. And by the way, if you look back in chapter 9, the previous chapter in the first three verses, you see that it come from a place of great sorrow and continued grief that he had in his heart. Paul was always concerned about those who he had converted that were a part of the Lord's kingdom, the church, them going back into the world. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lists... You know, the persecution that he had suffered, the things that he had suffered for Christ's sake. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. He escaped cities for his life. He was in all kinds of perils. But at the end of that list, he says that he's concerned daily for the churches. Why do you think he went back and revisited some of those churches that he helped establish? He was concerned about them staying faithful but it was from the heart that he wanted Israel to be saved. Do we pray to God from the heart? Not some kind of fake, superficial prayer, but get down and pray from the heart. That is important, and we need to do that. I understand that David Lipscomb kept foster kids in his home and adopted kids. And there's a biography that's been written about David Lipscomb. And it's, I think, entitled A Voice Crying in the Wilderness. But one of the children that became a part of his life that he took into his home said they will never forget seeing him so often down on his knees praying a childlike prayer and just pouring his heart out to the Lord. That's the way it should be, pouring our heart out to God. I believe that's what Hannah did. She poured her heart out to God. But also, I think she was confident that her prayers would be answered. Look in verses 17 and 18. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She had been distressed, not able to eat. Her countenance was sorrowful. 
And now it says she went her way and ate, broke the fast, and her face was no longer sad. Eli wasn't speaking from inspiration. He didn't know that God would answer her prayer. He didn't even know what she was praying about. But he offered her some hope that God would answer her prayer. And Hannah left and began acting as if her prayer was already answered. You know, when Abraham and Sarah were told in their old age they were going to have a child, they started living like they were going to have a child, even though it took a long time and it was a lot of waiting. They lived like they were going to have a child. I believe Hannah's prayer was a prayer of faith without any doubts because she was speaking to the creator that could accomplish great things and she had a great faith in him. In James chapter 1, and I believe James, the epistle of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, I believe that's the James that wrote the epistle entitled James. In fact, he had a nickname called, he was called O Camel Knees, O Camel Knees, because they said he wore out his knees because he was kneeling to pray. He believed in the power of prayer. We see that through his epistle. In James chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, we read, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a, a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We need to pray to God with faith. We're talking to God who is all-powerful. And he can change things. She didn't know the answer God would give, but I believe we can see that she had confidence in God and faith in him. And God knows what we need. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 8, therefore do, not, uh, do, therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. He knows what we need. He wants what's for our good, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Things won't always turn out the way we hope or even pray for, but we need to trust in God and not give up on Him. He is the only hope that we have. When you pray... Have confidence in the one that you're praying to. Have confidence in God. Don't pray and think, well, I've done everything else I can do, so now I'm going to pray. No, the first thing you need to do is pray. Pray to God with confidence and faith. So now, in verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, we can see that Hannah received her heart's desire. Look at verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. She got more than she could have expected. Her son became a priest before God, a judge of Israel, a mighty prophet, and the one who established the kings of Israel. Hannah's story is recorded for a reason. 
Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. She gives me hope when it comes to prayer. Do you want to pray like Hannah? We need to. We read before I got up here that beautiful prayer in the next chapter. We need to learn to pray like God's servant Hannah. What a godly woman who is a good example for us. I remember years ago when I was living in Franklin, there was a, a woman who had been blind for years, most of her life. And she wanted me to come over just about every day to her condo and to read the scripture to her. So I did that. The last time that I was there, before she passed away, she said, Steve, I want you to, to read to me Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. So I read it and I reread it and I read it several times to her. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Do you realize that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above? Now think about those three words. It's powerful, just one of them, but the three of them together. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. God is powerful. Do you pray to Him? I'm thankful for your attention to the lesson. As powerful as prayer is to those that are outside of Christ, that are accountable for their sins, the Bible doesn't instruct them to just pray the sinner's prayer and their sins will be forgiven. It doesn't say that. I've heard some good lessons from, from various preachers on the radio, on television, and, and they have a good lesson that is, I think, very sound and scriptural, but at the end of that, they say, if you want to be saved from your sins, just recite this prayer and you'll be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. On the day of Pentecost, when the church was established, they asked Peter and the rest of the brethren what they needed to do. And he said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see that those that gladly received the word were baptized, and the Lord added them to his church. And what did they continue in? What did the church continue in? One of those things mentioned is prayer. Prayer is for the child of God that has that relationship with Him. If you're not a child of God this evening and you want your sins forgiven, you can repent and be baptized. If you're already a Christian, perhaps you've seen, you see in Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer was told he needed to repent and pray. We'll be happy to pray for you if you need to. Come forward if you need to while together we stand and sing.